The Gaily Prophet operates under the assumption that you have read the books. If you haven't read the books, go and read them. They're wonderful. And then come back to us. Otherwise, you're going to be spoiled. And that's your choice in this world. Gay people love puns. I'm dead. <laughs> we have to stop this podcast. Oh, this book causes Satanism. What is left for us to rant about? There is nothing straight about plum velvet. <laughs> you shouldn't have been drinking when I said that. <laughs> Monocles are impractical, but hot. I don't for a second believe that she is a straight person. I mean, I'm definitely here for bisexual Minerva McGonagall. Let's talk about Harry Potter. Hello, and welcome to the Gaily Prophet, a podcast where two queer IRL witches reread Harry Potter and talk about it. I am America's favorite griffin dandy, Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount, Griffin Dyke Extraordinaire. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about chapters 9, The Midnight Duel, and chapter 10, Halloween. All right, so... I have a very long intro for for this chapter, because a lot happens. It's like a really convoluted chapter, so... It is a very convoluted chapter. I try to reduce it into a couple of sentences, and it's still, like, kind of long. All right, so... <clears throat> In Harry's first flying lesson, it is revealed that he is a natural at flying. Um, so our girl, McGonagall, bends the rules to let him join the Quidditch team. Malfoy, understandably pissed, maybe not understandably pissed... Um, challenge Harry to a fake duel, and of course, Harry takes the bait. In an escape at night to avoid Filch, the gang stumbles upon a three-headed dog guarding a secret trap door. Chapter 10. Harry gets a not-at-all-subtle package in the mail and begins all of our journey into the role, into the world of Quidditch. Uh, also, Ron and Harry save our queen, Hermione, from a troll... And then become for real friends. Instead of giant fucking bullies. Yeah, no, Ron is real fucking mean. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> it's like my 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 gentle queen, my gentle know it all <laughs> queen. How, just yeah. no one understands your brilliance. It's okay. <laughs> okay. So let's get into this newspaper, starting with Today's headlines. Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry under investigation for policy of expelling students who are injured due to faculty neglect. <laughs> <laughs> and in the midst of investigation of student neglect, Hogwarts attempts to cover up incident involving three unattended first years being attacked by a troll. <laughs> Just so much. <laughs> like, where? It's- <laughs> We will get to that in chapter 10, but Lordy, it's like, you guys have a full staff. What is literally anyone doing at any time? They're not watching children is what (laughs) they are doing ever, ever, ever. I have, I have so many feelings about just the adults in the, in these chapters. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, geez. So now we turn to. The front page, which is the part of this podcast where we talk about the things that don't belong in other parts of this podcast. 
it started out being a different thing, but that's what it is now. It's just the stuff that doesn't go other places. I mean, I think it's still fun. It's great. I don't think it's a problem. That's just, it's sort of changed. (laughs) It's changed its definition. I think, I think, I, I think it's okay with that. Yeah. Anyway, in this chapter, Harry describes Malfoy as telling a bunch of stories about his flying, about Malfoy's flying exploits that end with him avoiding helicopters. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, how do purebloods know what a helicopter is? Wow. Well, I think that if you're on a broom and you almost get run over by a giant contraption <laughs> in the sky, you would try to figure out what the contraption was. Uh, but that's a really good question. Also, it seems very implausible because like, how many helicopters are in reality flying over like semi-rural UK. Maybe Malfoy lives really close to a hospital. <laughs> Maybe he does. They is never explained where Malfoy Manor is. No, it's so. not. I with that over and over and over again in these books it is demonstrated that JK Rowling has literally zero concept of how fucking cold it is in the sky. Like <laughs> they are not flying he like you can't fly high enough to get hit by a helicopter maybe by a helicopter they fly way lower than airplanes but like it is cold as shit that high up in the sky there's a reason it's snowy on top of a mountain somewhere where it's like 80 on the ground if you're on a broom that like high enough to get hit by a helicopter you have way bigger problems than getting run over by a helicopter like being frozen to a broom yeah that is very true my first front page is does Harry actually hate Malfoy more than he hates Dudley? Because that seems really unlikely to me. Yeah. And I feel like given that Harry is so much more obsessed with Malfoy and a very, like just like the amount of attention that Harry gives Malfoy is much different than to uh, Dudley, who he basically just tries to avoid, you know. Right. Like if Harry avoided Malfoy and just like didn't give a fuck about what he said, a fourth of the drama in these series would have been, could could have been avoided. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Harry just would have been like, I don't care about you. There, I mean, there is a reason that there is so much Harry Malfoy fanfic out there, including a published novel (laughs) (laughs) uh i feel like i can't blame anyone for that because yeah just the level of obsession that harry has with malfoy is just like and vice versa they are they are extremely extremely into one another yeah (laughs) my second note is Remember alls are a worthless anxiety trap. Oh my god, I have not that exact same thing, but my exact same my next thing is how remember alls are pointless. They're so terrible. It's like that feeling of dread that you have when you know you're forgetting something, but you don't know like what it could possibly be that you're forgetting. You try really hard to convince yourself that you just aren't forgetting something. You're just like a forgetful person who has constant anxiety that you're forgetting something. The remember all is there to be like, nah, bro, you are, you right. are forgetting something, but like, doesn't give you any actual no information. information. Ugh. 
So, and this is why, actually, my note is, this is why we don't ever see it again, because the only point of the Remembrall is for Harry to catch it and for people to be like, oh, you're a cool seeker, you can catch this tiny thing from, like, a 50-foot dive. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I think I'm angry because I'm just like, poor Neville does not deserve the stress. I hope that Neville flushed that shit down the toilet. <laughs> like, I... <laughs> I hope he melted it in his next melted cauldron in potions <laughs> class. Like, get rid of that thing. It is not serving you. I would, I would hate, I would hate it if someone gave me a remember all. Why can Harry fly without being taught? Like, that is like being able to drive a car without being taught. It's like, oh, your dad was a race car driver, so you have, like, race car driver DNA. You know exactly how this works without anyone ever showing you. It's, like, absurd, and I don't like it. You know, it is absurd. I was also thinking about that, and I don't know if I actually believe this, but I wonder, or I kind of want it to be a thing like Harry being a parcel math where it comes with him having a bit of Voldemort's soul is like, you could fly really good and you could talk to snakes. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, wouldn't he be way, way better at magic if it had those impacts? Because Voldemort's real powerful and Harry's like... I mean, I feel like... I don't think that Harry is not powerful. He is just not... Committed. An intellectual. Yeah. Like, I think even Voldemort was like, a really good student at school and yeah harry is like pretty far from that yeah <laughs> like i think if he would have actually studied at all and not spent so much time thinking about malfoy that he probably would have been you know even more prepared for the events of the seventh book than having hermione just help him like hold his hand almost the entire way no kidding dude <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so per our discussion in from the last chapters about air quality at Hogwarts, um, <laughs> Hermione is like waiting for them and she turns a lamp on. She's been waiting in the dark. <laughs> she turns a <laughs> lamp on. She's like, yes, Hermione. Just like, um, but I waiting just... to have that moment where it's like you turn the light on. It's like, what are you guys doing? Such a yeah. drama queen. I love I know. it. <laughs> Um, but I just was like, what, what kind of lamp? It flickers on. So is it like one of those oil lamps? Did she have to light a match? Does it have like one of those like clicky igniters? What kind of lamp is it? It's gotta be a fire, right? Yeah. My, it's probably an oil lamp, which seems very dangerous to have, but again, (laughs) I don't know what they're doing in this school. It's like, come on, come on. Electricity exists this duel was such an obvious ruse that they should have listened to hermione for real like clearly malfoy was really not about to show up and duel you harry like are you kidding me i know i bracketed that whole section (laughs) and just wrote what the fuck with all of this (laughs) (laughs) why is that happening uh yeah I actually do think the whole scene when they're, like, going to the trophy room, like, really from the minute they leave the Gryffindor common room to the end of the chapter, I think is actually very suspenseful and really well done. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very, like, lovely. You get descriptions of, like, the shafts of moonlight they walk through and the 
hall, the trophy hall, and it's like it's just very well done. I would just I just like that a lot. I did wait on that well yeah, on that point, like duel and also the trophy room, like I just thought it was so weird that Malfoy says, Let's meet in the trophy room, that's always unlocked. How does he know that? Like, is that just common knowledge? Everyone's like, oh yeah, midnight duel, always go to the trophy room. It's never locked. Like, how... Can you hear Jezebel? She's, like, singing right now. <laughs> Jezebel, stop it. I can't, I can't, in fact, hear her. I know. My dogs are, like, a real part of this podcast. <laughs> stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, sorry, you were going to say something else. Oh, um, maybe Malfoy heard it from the, like, older Slytherin kids, because if it's always unlocked, people are definitely boning in that room. Oh, good point. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's their lover's lane. It's like the <laughs> stone floor of the trophy room. <laughs> I hope someone at least is conjuring some something that's not just the stone floor. I know, you just have to, like, bring your blankets. I mean, I don't know, like, I mean, I thought that might still be more comfortable than, like, making out or doing anything in the back of a car. Like, cars aren't comfortable and people do it all the time. Quite so. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in the back of cars in high school. Um, <laughs> says the person who's like, I'm not talking about my sex life on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Neville says that, that, uh wow what's her face the nurse she fixed his wrist in a minute that was like in the day and then he's out there sleeping on the floor at night so what like what happened do you think he got lost i think he got lost on his way back from the hospital wing and just was like he probably missed dinner and then got there and he couldn't remember the password. <laughs> I actually have a note that like Neville cannot win in this chapter. No. Like he just he just cannot. And I'm like, someone for the love of God help Neville. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wrote, uh, why doesn't anyone take care of this little baby? <laughs> and most of my notes on like anything having to do with Neville throughout the book I are just sad faces. Right, it's like, maybe if McGonagall wasn't so focused on winning the house cup, she would have, I don't know, helped Neville from not sleeping on the floor in front, like, by the common room. I know. Recording has started. Oh, good. Okay, cool. Welcome to The Gaily Prophet, a podcast for two queers with a technology curse attempt to make a podcast. Yeah, I feel like we need to do something to, like, cleanse our auras podcast <laughs> i don't know yeah we just both need to be sitting here with like black tourmaline on each corner of our computers <laughs> i don't even know oh man yeah next time next time i'll try to do this with some crystals around me maybe that will help maybe so. can't hurt right exactly Oh, good lord. So, listeners, Jesse's computer died, possibly forever and always, but certainly until it goes to the Apple store. Uh, it did It did actually come back on, but this computer is 10 years old. If I went to the Apple store, they would laugh at me. 
Oh, and then so it took please... us 500 times to be able to hear each other both times that we started a recording. So just so everybody, <clears throat> just so everybody knows what we go through to bring you this podcast. We really just do need a sponsor to help us with our technology. <laughs> we do. <laughs> Please subscribe to our Patreon so I can buy all of this equipment, everyone. Oh, Lord. All right, so where were we? We were almost done with the front page for Chapter 9, or maybe we were done. Did we get all of your points? Ron says actually one good thing in this chapter. What is that? He was being sarcastic, but he was like, that three-headed dog definitely needs some exercise, and he is correct. That dog I have that in, in editorials, so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go a little deeper into that one. Okay, cool. <laughs> My first one, I th- think I can probably just read the line, which is, "Harry puts out a fire with his hat." Womp womp. <laughs> I'm glad because you have that. I... <laughs> he's wearing a hat. <laughs> he's wearing a hat. I was actually, yeah, I was thinking about he's wearing his hat in this chapter to put out the. <laughs> And then never again. No, they're wearing hats. <laughs> this is just evidence that they're wearing He, like, never hats. mentions his hat ever again. So I'm going to pretend after the first... It's kind of like if you go to I'm a school that sure has... I'm pretty sure he does. Maybe it's like if you go to a high school that has school uniforms and the, like, the longer you're at school, the more the, the teachers kind of turn their head if, they're, if you're, like, not totally in uniform. Yeah, maybe. I, I went to a high school that had uniforms, so that's why I'm like, all right, he just stopped wearing his hat after year one. Wow. <laughs> we went to opposite high school. <laughs> yeah, we sure I did. Definitely went to school in nothing but a bra and a fishnet shirt a lot <laughs> when I was 14. <laughs> uh, yeah, we I had really terrible school uniforms that was like polos and khakis and like a really terrible fleece. Oh jacket, which like is you why. were like working at Target. It was blue, but yeah, basically. Um, this is why I can't do anything fleece, any kind of fleece clothing. I'm like, this is a disgusting texture. And I just can't do it. Yeah. Also, khakis are a real bummer. Yeah. They should get added to our uh, compulsory heteronormativity section from <laughs> <laughs> episode two. <laughs> oh my god my my other one is like so speaking of me having issues with bodily fluids which is not a speaking of for the listeners because i'm definitely editing that first part out but i have issues with things that are slimy and harry takes this fucking wand out of this troll nose is covered in boogers he wipes it on the troll's pants he does not wash it, nor do any of the three of them wash their hands. Post-troll interaction, which is repeatedly described as smelling terrible and involves snot, copious amounts of snot. And then they go eat. They go eat dinner from a buffet where they're serving themselves. And they didn't wash their hands. And I'm making... <laughs> clenched horrified fists <laughs> like literally i am so horrified yes that is disgusting um yeah why didn't anyone be like please go shower right now it, yeah 
especially because it goes far enough to describe Harry wiping the boogers off of his wand. So like, and like that, that's not good enough. Please give us the next step where he fucking washes it. Holy shit. And now I'm thinking about the fact that in book four, during the wand weighing ceremony, he like looks at his like, Cedric's wand is all shiny or Ollivander is like oh you like polish your wand regularly and Harry's like oh no my wand is dirty and now I'm like oh my god it's probably never been washed ever like that wand still has troll snot residue (laughs) on it four years later all right so this is not at all a euphemism but Harry really should polish and clean (laughs) I know it's horrifying okay great yeah <laughs> that's it that's uh, all i have for the front page for chapter 10 yeah no it's fine harry has really gross hygiene you don't ever hear him like come back from the shower or like anything and i'm just like he's just and i know part of it's like writing that is boring but i'm like if you take it at face value harry potter is very disgusting totally and he gets into enough situations where he's like sweaty or like dirty. And I, I I do believe that there is one time in the chapters in all of the books where they describe showers being taken after care of magical creatures. Perhaps. And that's the only time. It's never like he came back from an hour-long crawl through the tunnel to Hogsmeade and fucking bathed. No. Gross. All right. I'm skeeved out. Yeah. Okay. So What are your notes? Okay. <clears throat> First off, I don't know who McGonagall is kidding. There is nothing subtle about a broomstick package. I know. Like, it's carried by six owls. It's long and narrow. Like, literally, <laughs> what is anyone supposed to think it is? Like, right. don't open at the table. Everyone fucking knows what it is. Like, it's like either a broomstick or like a rifle. You know, there's not a whole lot of other choices. And at the end of this book, Harry just shoots Quirrell in the back of his head. Oh my god. At the end of this book. I mean, basically, though. I mean, yeah, also that. Holy crap. I really don't care about Quidditch, but I really like the visual of the description of the Weasley twins as being like a pair of bludgers themselves. And I'm like, that is such a good description of them. It totally is. So I also have, so I have a frowny face next to this note, which is, so two months have passed in this chapter and Hermione has had no friends for two months and it makes me very sad. Yeah. Yep. And I'm like, my, my precious baby, no. You're just yeah. so much better See, than that's, that's what I meant when we were talking before about like Hermione not having friends that are girls. I just like, I feel like, I don't know if Parvati and Lavender are like necessarily mean to her, but like they were never gonna try to be nice to her, you know, or be like, yeah, let's find out what we have in common or anything like that. Like, I don't really think she had before Jenny got to the, got to Hogwarts. I don't think she had anybody available to her to be friends with. 
Yeah. Which is like kind of I feel like the sorting hat should take into account when creating the classes like student compatibility and like anybody it's like iffy on it could like reference back like oh what what makeup of students do I have right now in that house is everybody gonna have a friend available you know would have been nice for Neville also (laughs) Because Ron and Harry and Seamus and Dean, like, couple off immediately, and then Neville's left all alone, little fifth-wheel Neville. Yeah. So. Yeah, maybe if the hat spent less time fucking making up a song, it would get this into consideration. (laughs) Right. Uh, We literally can't make it through a taping without one of my dogs deciding that it's time to chew a bone. So, it's crunchy. It's crunchy in here. Sorry, everybody. Welcome. To the politics section, where we talk about things that are fucked up. <laughs> As opposed to the other fucked up things we've already talked about. <laughs> things that are the fucked upest <laughs> in this series. <laughs> my first one is really big. It's probably going to be pretty controversial. This is my first time ever thinking about it. But in this read-through, I think that Hermione comes from an abusive household. Okay. Let's talk about that. I feel I feel like I'm like betraying someone right now. <laughs> like I feel like a little bit like nervous about talking about it, but I do. So where this is coming from is I have been like learning about hypervigilance um just like on my own parts like it came out of a discussion that I saw on the internet about like how much of one's psychicness is like being psychic and how much of one's psychicness is having a trauma history that has resulted in serious hypervigilance and just being like, seriously alert to what other people's bodies and faces and tones and whatever are doing all the time. And so I was like, that was in my mind while I was reading this and Hermione noticing the trap door is sort of what like clicked this for me where it's like, Oh, Hermione's like so observant, but like, I don't know. You're presented to a room with an enormous three-headed dog. And Hermione is taking in literally everything in the room. They're in there for like 30 seconds at most. And she is processed so much more than everybody else. And I I think that it's because like she is dealing with like serious hypervigilance and like has PTSD and probably like complex PTSD. I have more pieces of evidence when she's boring them and putting quotes around. Cause it's, that's what Harry says. She's boring them all with flying tips before the flying lessons. I feel like that's what having really bad social anxiety looks like like trying to connect with people she's very afraid of failing at the flying lessons and so she's like overcompensating and both attempting to quell her imposter syndrome 
and connect with people, but she doesn't know how because she's like bad at social circumstances. Um, I think she's really bad social anxiety. Her feel of fear of failure and like perfectionism definitely goes hand in hand with all of that. The level of freaking out that she does anytime that getting in trouble is a possibility. Her outsized reaction to Ron saying that she doesn't have any friends. Like getting upset is absolutely appropriate, but she cries in the bathroom for literal hours after that. And then looking forward into future books, just thinking about how little time Hermione spends at home. Like any opportunity, she comes home, she comes back to Hogwarts from a Christmas, like when she's supposed to be with her family, she leaves, goes to her family and then comes back to Hogwarts early. She's often at Ron's house before Harry is at Ron's house. And the other Weasley kids don't seem to have friends staying with them all the time the way that Ron does. And I feel like that's because Molly knows things about both Harry and Hermione and their home lives and is like, yes, come stay at my house because it's better than where you would be. But I feel like Hermione has told Molly about it and not Ron and Harry. Because she really, she never prioritizes spending any time with her family. And I think that as we like as we keep reading, I'm going to keep sort of like an eye out for this. But that's how I'm reading it. What do you think? So I think this is a great interpretation, actually, because um, I was actually thinking reading these two chapters. I didn't end up writing it down because I didn't. It wasn't a, t- a totally fleshed out thought, but I was like kind of in thinking about like Neville and his anxiety and his like learning stuff i was kind of like don't know if like necessarily like you know hermione has like learning disability but she definitely has some really intense mental health issues going on that start that are like very obvious in even in this book about like her anxiety her just and i guess i didn't think about it as her like hyper awareness but like when you said that i was just like oh yeah that is that feels really right to like put those together the other thing with the hypervigilance thing that i was thinking about from future books that i just remembered is um when fake moody is showing them the curses everybody is watching the spider hermione is the only one who notices what's happening to neville so like again she is taking in the whole room whenever like there's something big enough that everyone else is fixated on one thing hermione is like everywhere right she Mm -hmm. yeah so sorry go ahead i feel like what also lends credence to this is i mean i'm very much like death of the author at this point but i feel like the fact that like jkr says that like you know hermione is the most like her and that she's like been in like a like some really shitty like domestic family like family situations that i feel like i feel like that sort of maybe sort of like PTSD things that Hermione is exhibiting is probably coming from a very real place of like what the author has experienced. Right. So, which I feel like lends like lends weight to your thought that like Hermione does not have a great family life. Um, and especially because it seems very obvious that like there has been a lot of academic pressure put on her. You know, like, you don't just 
you don't just roll up into a school naturally being like, I have to fucking be the best, you know? Sometimes, though, I think that, like, because Hermione's perfectionism is something that I can, like, really, really heavily relate to, like, I am, I am someone who has literally, using the word literally, the meaning actually in real life and not figurative, uh, like, cried my eyes out in a bathroom because I got a B on a test, um... And I, like, my parents couldn't have give, given two fucks about the grades that I was getting. Um, I think that that, like, that kind of perfectionism can come, often comes from a place of wanting a sense of control over your life where, like, you just in general don't have that control. And so it's, like, the one thing that you can you're like, okay, I, th- this is the one thing that I have control over. Like, I can get A's. I can be the best. I can, like, do this thing better than everybody else. And so, and then when it has that much weight, risk of failing takes on a whole new level of meaning because it's not just you didn't do well. It's like you didn't do well, which means that your control has been taken away in that situation. Yeah, that makes sense. Sorry, I feel like so. this is like extra bummery even for the politics section. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I do think this is a really good conversation, especially like, I mean, I too have a lot of anxiety and I feel like I've been often described as being very observant, but part of it is a like, when I walk into a space, I like have to like mentally catalog everything that's happening and what everyone is doing and sort of like everyone's like sort of mood and body language and which makes me very empathetic, but it's also like a thing where it's like, I realize I need to, I realize that it's born out of a very kind of specific kind of like, you know, anxiety and trauma. Right. So, and it's really hard to like, shut that out i guess but it also makes me think about how like in later books how empathetic hermione is described as right and kind of like even to the point where it's like there's that famous line from book five where like ron is like how how can you have these many feelings and it's like not everyone has the emotion death of a teaspoon ron and but it's like i mean i i think that hermione is just incredibly empathetic because she can't turn off seeing everyone and like noticing you know their body language and like whatever sort of feelings the energy they're putting off right yeah so. i totally agree the so the like conversations in my house that have come out of me sort of like digging more into this and like starting to recognize in myself the ways that i do this is um so rufio one of my dogs also has a history of trauma before coming into my life. Um, and so he is very hypervigilant about like people's body language and sounds outside and like humans aren't allowed to touch each other and people can't stand in certain positions and whatever. And the result of him having those triggers is that he starts barking. His bark is really, really loud. My nerves are constantly frayed 
partly because of <laughs> mental illness and partly because my disability makes it so that my body is like always tense and like your the feedback loop of that is like if your body is tense you are tense right and so when rufio mm. barks i freak the fuck out like not on purpose it's like someone jumps out from behind a wall and scares me but it's like 75 times a day and so i have become hyper vigilant to the things that rufio is hyper vigilant about so that i will be prepared for him to start barking so that i can be braced for it and it is so intense <laughs> like when i'm about to say that sounds really exhausting it is like i feel like i can i feel my body being tense thinking about that yeah when i co-work i co-work a couple times a week usually with one of my friends i go over to their house and that's when i notice it the most is when i'm working at someone else's house where my dog is not and every time someone walks by or closes a car door outside i my entire self tenses up in preparation for rufio to start barking even though he's not there (laughs) so i mean he is he's my my demon like in uh the golden compass right he and i have but one soul between the two of us (laughs) we are the same person (laughs) in some aspects that truth makes life a little bit miserable (laughs) Hermione got lucky with uh, Crookshanks as her familiar, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> he is bold and fearless. So. <laughs> oh, crying emoji. All right. Funny politics. Do you want to do our first wi- witch NSA alert? <laughs> yes. So the, what? I don't know if you have something for this, but... Mine is like the portraits at the school. Hogwarts is covered in portraits. No student ever does a single thing unobserved by something sentient that could rat on them. So there's no privacy at that school. No. I find it very upsetting. There's no privacy at the school, and yet everyone's being bullied constantly. That's even worse. (laughs) like what is even the point of giving up like being spied on by the ghosts maybe the house elves the portraits and like yet just rampant violence and bullying yeah excellent fucking point (laughs) uh i i wonder if there's some sort of like i like agreement that the portraits like won't rat on the kids but that seems like uh, that would mean that like the administration of the school had like put that in place to be like look these kids have to be able to be kids please don't tell us what they're doing unless there's something like really important but golly that would be really thoughtful of a adult to do for children who need to be allowed to you know make bad choices well i mean the fat lady notices them like coming back from the fake midnight duel but like she doesn't like tell mcgonagall though that they were out right so yeah and i'm sure like a lot of portraits i don't know like see Ginny summoning the basilisk so i don't know but then of course 
you know, they go around like quizzing all of the the portraits about Sirius Black when he was in the castle and when Harry gets called for the Triwizard Tournament, like the fat lady knows before he even gets back because one of the portraits from that room like runs up and tells her. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know why anybody can get away with anything in that school, given that they're all being watched constantly. But maybe there is some sort of agreement that they won't they won't tell. I mean, maybe there's got to be some kind of agreement. And there must just be like sw- huge swatches of the school where there aren't portraits. Because like, I mean, Sirius gets in and out. And like, he's like, I mean, the fat lady spots him. But like, he's able to like traverse in and out. Without anyone being like one of the portraits being like, "Hey, I noticed this big ass black dog <laughs> showing in Hogwarts." Like that's not allowed. So maybe that's a thing, you hmm. know. And I mean, there's tons of times when like Harry's like about to get in trouble, and there isn't like a portrait about to rat him out. Yeah, it's confusing. So. I find it really confusing. Whether or not they're gonna rat them out, you are still constantly being observed. There's a fucking portrait. In the prefect bathroom. Okay, then that's fucked up. Watching you take a bath. (laughs) Right. Like, there's a, like, fucking beautiful mermaid. I'm just, like, just, like, watching you bathe? That's, like, not... Uh Uh-uh. And then, and of course, it's, like, also, like, Myrtle apparently also occasionally watches you bathe, which is, like, even more. Of course she does. (laughs) It's just, like... (laughs) Maybe this is the real reason Harry doesn't bathe. He's like, the bathrooms are too weird. Just... <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I feel like this would make me not want to bathe at Hogwarts. I would just become a crust punk and just be like, you know what? I'm good. Yeah. Or you'd, I mean, do like um, the middle school locker room, you know, where you like, Put your shirt on and then, like, pull your bathing suit up and then, like, get in the stall and take your bathing suit off and take your shower and, like, you know, the whole process. Um, yeah. So it just takes you 25 minutes and, like, a contortionist act to get dressed <laughs> and undressed for your shower. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Did you have anything else for the NSA alert? I do not, no. All right. This has been Which NSA Alert? <laughs> My last politics is Ron saying, if any dog needs exercise, that one does. What are they doing to that fucking dog? I mean, it's basically just in a kennel for like, how long is the school year? Nine months? It's like in a corridor. But like, it's not getting out and getting like fresh air or exercise. It's just chilling. It's chained up. Maybe Hagrid goes and like plays fetch with it down the hallway every night. Oh, Hagrid totally does okay. that. That makes me feel better. <laughs> Let's be real. Let's be real about Hagrid going up there to like scratch all of the heads and like rub the Fluffy's belly. His <laughs> name is Fluffy. Hagrid loves that dog. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that makes me feel a little bit better. Cause, but yeah, it's still like just living in that corridor for nine months. I know. Like, it it was making me think about like the dragon and Gringotts, where it's like. Everyone is just too okay with, like, just chaining creatures up 
and leaving them. Welcome to editorials slash op-eds slash whatever. Welcome to the section where we rant about things. My first thing in editorials is like the primary description of what makes a Slytherin a Slytherin. Oh my God. Rufio's chewing so loud. (laughs) The primary feature of what makes a Slytherin a Slytherin is being ambitious. And I just feel like in general, ambition, unless you're a very specific demographic is not congruent with being a giant fucking bully. Like, Lucius Malfoy is a bully. He's a very sneaky, smarmy, subtle bully. You know? Like, this overt bullying that all of the Slytherins do all the time, bro, that's not going to get you anywhere in life. People are not, like, looking to, like, move you up the ladder because you make fun of everyone around you ruthlessly. So it just is, like... Yeah, I feel like Percy is a better Slytherin than any of the Slytherins. I'm saying it. No, I would totally agree with that statement. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you're right in that it feels like it feels like the book is using ambition as a stand-in for like being an asshole, cruelty, and like cruelty, which is like that's not like you don't have to be a dick to be ambitious, right? Or to like get things done. And also, it, like, often doesn't result in getting things done. It results in people not wanting to, like, work with you. Like, Voldemort was a great example of, like, Slytherin ambitiousness because he was very pulling the strings. Like, Slughorn, too. Like, this is what ambition looks like is you're, like, working your way up. You're, like, doing really well in school and getting, like, getting indoors and charming people and all of that. Like, that... That is definitely, like, a way of being ambitious that also is a way to make characters not super likable. But, like, these kids, like, I don't know what their ambition is, but it seems like their ambition is just to, like, make sure everyone hates them, which is not a great way to get to the top. Yeah. I mean, I guess I wonder if it's, like, Slytherin ambition is, like, the sort of ambition of, like, terrible like white straight dudes who are in business who are like you know just step on a bunch of people to get to the top and like other like straight white dudes like this is how you become a ceo of business kind of deal yeah well right so that's like the one demographic like moneyed cis straight white dudes yeah with like a certain countenance can succeed by being bullies but I just don't think that, like, all of the Slytherins probably... Like, do you think that being born into wealth is a prerequisite for being a Slytherin? Because I do think that you have to, like, be born into wealth for being a bully to be a successful path to I mean, I don't, I don't think so. I feel like I, I feel like just from the Slytherins that we've met in the book... Yeah, they do seem to be like older, presumably, presumably like wealthier, pure blood families. Um, and Blaze Zanzibar aside, I'm sure very white, <laughs> very very white. Yeah. So I feel like you're gonna get that, and then when you get kids like 
like Snape and like Voldemort, like they have to compensate for the fact that they're not rich in order to like get ahead in the sort of like patriarchal view of power that the Slytherins seem to have. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's really a shame we don't ever get to know more about... I guess I'm very curious about, like, the not-dudes of Slytherin House. Right, because we only... Uh, only Pansy and Millicent are ever named, and we meet Millicent, like, once. Yeah. We know she's very large and has a cat. Like, that's, that's the extent of the knowledge we have about her. Yeah. And she definitely has a very, like... Her name is very reminiscent of, like, I don't know, like, the Trunchbull, right? It's just, like, Millicent yes. Bulstrode. <laughs> like, this is a large, boorish bully of a woman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just whatever. Fucking J.K. Rowling. <laughs> She's mean, you can tell, because look at her name and her shoulders are broad. And you're just like, fuck off. I know. It's God really, damn. it's really terrible. It's really terrible. Um, how... The quote-unquote bad people are described in these books. Yeah, so I just feel like <laughs> Slytherin House is the most invested in the patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When the sorting hat says these cunning folks will use any means to achieve their ends, what it really means is these cunning folks will use any means to uphold existing systems of power. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Um, I do want to say though, and I, I think it's a fair speaking of, I actually have been thinking a lot. I think that Percy should have been placed in Slytherin. I think Percy would have done well in Slytherin. Percy, I think if it would have been offered to him, would have vehemently denied it because everyone in his family is in Gryffindor. Yeah, for sure. I still, I don't think that everyone has as much agency over the sorting hat as, as Harry did. Yeah. I just feel like Percy is so ambitious and like so ready to like throw his entire family under the bus on his path to the top that like, you know, the sorting hat touches Draco's head and it immediately says Slytherin. And I feel like if I were the sorting hat, that is what would have happened if like the second I was put on Percy's head, it would have been like, oh, ambition, Slytherin, go before he even had a second to think please Gryffindor you know like yeah that dude is oozing ambition out his pores I think you're right I just wonder how that would have looked I think as ambitious as Percy is I feel like it would have broken him a little bit because since he does come from a poor family he would have had to have been twice an asshole I don't really mean I think that Slytherin would have been good for him. I just mean that I think that, like, given the criteria of what makes a Slytherin versus what makes a Gryffindor, I think that Percy fits under the Slytherin criteria and not under the Gryffindor criteria for the most part, um, or at least much more fits the Slytherin criteria. I don't think it, I don't think it's good for anybody to be placed in Slytherin. I don't think Slytherin should be a house. Um, I'm not saying, like, I'm pro anybody being placed there i just don't think that percy is a gryffindor flying is horrifying and hermione is right yeah like Agreed. nothing nothing about flying seems cool or like a thing that 
you know, I'm just like, no. Yeah. I just. Arthur needs to stop blocking uh, Ali Bashir from importing magic carpets into the UK because magic carpets are obviously way fucking better than brooms. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's also weird because I feel like. Not only do brooms seem really impractical, but I feel like in the story, I feel like we don't ever get a sense of like, it's like, like for a lot of the chapters with Harry, he's just on a broomstick and he's just doing his thing. I think this is like, I think the only chapter where they even go into any of the mechanics of like how you get on or steer your broom. Mm-hmm. And I feel like even then it's kind of like, Harry just instinctively knew how to do this thing. And I'm like, what? Right. How, like, how does, how does this work? It just seemed like yeah and like physical comfort wise it seems so terrible yeah it sounds like even worse than a very narrow bike seat yes and a very narrow bike seat is like pretty awful but at least it has some width to it (laughs) like not all of it is just like putting all of like your tailbone has to be sitting against your broomstick God, that's so bad for your back. Yeah, everything about that just seems really uncomfortable and very impractical. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm not. I don't like it. I, so, it starts now, but it continues through the entire series. Just the fightiness, the physical fightiness of all of the boys in these books is so confounding to me. It, like, the things that that provoke them are just like really like really is that worth getting hurt over it all is just so i don't know i don't get it i don't know what they're doing i don't know why they're doing it what i like our our like brawls between teenage children common there were like two fights in the entire four years that i was in high school i was there for one of them i kicked the bad guy in the head (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i feel like there were i feel like there were a ton of fights at my high school but i also feel like there were always teachers around to sort of break up things that were about to be fights, or when it became a fight, teachers would, like, jump in. It seems like there's a lot of time in the books where there's just not an adult around for, like, shenanigans like this to happen, which is, like, again, you have a staff of how many whatever people, and you can't watch a bunch of 11-year-olds around, like, some brute like... You're just going to leave a bunch of 11-year-olds oh with some, God. like, janky school brooms? Like, you could have sent Hermione to go with Neville to the to Madame Pomfrey and watched all of these children. It's like a 20-minute walk, I like, know. one way. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's, like, not really any kind of mechanism in a school to, like, address that sort of, like, escalating physical violence. Like, there's a line <laughs> about how, like, McGonagall's really good at, like, sniffing out trouble really quickly, but it's, like... McGonagall isn't always there. And there's, and like, you know, there's a whole arbitrariness of like house points. It's like, 
If you get in a physical fight, like, are you going to you gonna lose, like, ten house points? Well, like, that seems worth it if you really want to punch someone in the face, you know? Right. So, Hogwarts is just a really bad job of, I mean, their whole rampant bullying thing, which is very clear. It's, like, maybe actually, like, one of the linchpins of the series is how terrible Hogwarts is about bullying. Yeah. But there's just, like, no kind of whatever you do in a school to prevent this, you know, or to, like mediate like the sort of aggression between children yeah yeah it's just oh let it play out i'm like why why are you doing this like yeah it's not yeah it's not good they don't have enough staff like going back like they have this enormous castle 300 some children and like 12 teachers and filch who shouldn't be trusted around children. No. <laughs> they need, like, some, like, school aides. Hall monitors. Like, you have the prefects, but where where the fuck are they? They are never anywhere. Yeah, I feel like you never see the prefects doing anything. No. It's not good. It's not good. Ron and Harry are so mean to Hermione. They're so mean. It is like Harry has spent his entire life being bullied. And I'm sure Ron too has spent his entire life like wanting to hang out with his older brothers and being turned away. And they're just going to be so mean to her. Why? Have God. Like you pointed out that Harry like really immediately comes up with like a good amount of compassion for Ron about like, like his class anxiety and his poverty and stuff. And then he can't fucking pull that out for Hermione seeing her dealing with the things that she's dealing with. He, I really, really don't like it. And I don't like that. She just is then like, okay, like I'll be friends with you. But I mean, of course she is. She doesn't have any other options, but like, God, the things that Ron says to her, she says, excuse me. And Ron says, can't a person eat in peace in this place? She hasn't even started. They don't know what she's going to say yet. They have no reason to think that she's going to like try to interfere. He, that's just what he comes back at her with for saying, excuse me, which Ron, that is inexcusable. Like, I hate you. Go fall in a hole. Don't talk to anybody that way. I mean, I feel again with the patriarchy coming, mosing its way in here, where it's like... We need to ask Buffering if we can borrow their patriarchy jingle. (laughs) (laughs) We could create our own, maybe. But yeah, yeah. it's just like you have a lot of compassion for a a fellow boy, but... Oh, Hermione is a smart-ass know-it-all who speaks her mind and talks sense to everyone. We must, we shouldn't like her. She's unlikable. Oh, it's terrible. Um, it's it's very gross. Yeah, I really don't like it. And if it was just Ron, I feel like that would help. But it's Harry too. Yeah, it's just, it grosses me out. I don't like it. <laughs> They are both very mean to her unnecessarily. And she's, like, correct every fucking time. Yeah. So it's like, sorry that she's so much smarter than you guys and you guys are dumb. Like, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. 
and even like you don't have to like everybody, but that's not an excuse to be unkind, you know? Yeah. My last two are actually really similar to one another. Both in that they're both in all caps. They're both about doors and locks. First one is why is the door to the dog not fucking locked? I understand that the door is locked. I do not consider any door in the witching world that one can open with a Lohamora to be a locked door. That is a door that's shut. It's a door that's like a toddler. It's a child-proofed door. It is not a locked door. It just has one of those plastic thingies that you have to lift up before you can actually open it. They learn that spell really early. Everyone can open, everyone in the castle beyond first year can open that door. What were they thinking? <laughs> like, literally, children could die. What were they thinking? Why isn't the door locked? I don't, I don't know. It, that is an excellent point. The do- I mean, it should have been chained up. But it also kind of, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's, supposed to be child locked you know but a lot of the kids in that school are not children anymore a lot of them have like learned that spell in class so like if you know that the weasley twins attend your school don't tell them they can't go somewhere and then just close the door with a spell you like the lock you can open with alohomora you know what i mean that's like a really good way to make sure that fred and george get eaten by a dog I mean, yeah, no. The first, the first night they went up to that corner and opened the door and like, oh, giant three-headed dog. Okay, cool. And like, yeah. But yeah, it's. I I think that's like also like a bigger question about like locks in the witching world. Just like, can, can you lock your house in a way that actually keeps people out of your house? You have to like do really elaborate spells every time you leave for the day to make sure that someone can't just come like click it open well i mean i guess if i would assume i would assume so just because i mean you can make your house like unplottable um and like put like anti-apparition you know whatever around it um but also there is a locked a locked door in the department of mysteries that like melts harry's pocket knife that can open any door which also is kind of like right yeah. What a terrible thing to have exist in the world. <laughs> yes, but that's like the Department of Mysteries. There's a point where like when uh when Barty Crouch breaks into Snape's office, um Snape says, "I seal my office with a spell that none but a very powerful wizard could undo." Like he has to do that to stop students from just going into his fucking office. And even so, the rest of the teachers could just go in his office or like a very clever sixth or seventh year, because by that point they are adults and they could just go break into his office. That is a real problem. You need to be able to have some fucking privacy. I'm upset. Maybe Snape's, Snape's office really just has like a deadbolt and he just assumes that like <laughs> wizards don't know what the fuck a deadbolt is. I it's think... sort of like his like logic puzzle. He's like, wizards don't know logic. 
<laughs> it's like a combination lock. It's like number combination lock. He's like, wizards aren't going to figure this out. I very, very much hope you're correct. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Um, so the second one is, why is there a key in the lock of the public bathroom on the outside they shut the door and go the key is in the lock they lock the troll in the bathroom with hermione they anyone can come just lock everyone in the girl's bathroom at any point are you kidding this is a school full of children who like do mean shit to each other all the time what could be more fun than locking everyone in the girl's bathroom and making them have to wait to get out uh i feel like that whole thing is just gross oversight because it literally doesn't make any sense. No, it's ridiculous. But gross oversight is like the Hogwarts motto. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe it just is. Maybe, maybe lack of gross oversight. There is no oversight anywhere. So the school is just like, <laughs> if you make it out of seven years alive and unharmed, which no one does, apparently. Right? Oh, man, that's actually the newts. Like, they make it seem like taking the newts is, like, really, really hard. But it's actually you just go in to take your test and they're like, wow, you made it. (laughs) Go out into the world. Great work. You are qualified for a job. You survived this fucking school. You only have three scars. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Welcome to the advice section. Where where we give advice to one character in the chapters that we have covered. Just to... It's different advice from the Ask Hedwig advice. This is unsolicited advice. This is advice that we wish we could give these characters about what they're doing in these chapters. I feel like my only advice is for McGonagall just to chill out about Quidditch. Like... <laughs> Just slow your roll. Like it's gonna it's okay. <laughs> like it's just it's just high school quidditch. It's not even professional quidditch. You it's definitely like... should be able to look Severus Snape in the eye <laughs> after his team wins quidditch. You're being a little dramatic. It's it's games played by oh, literal yes. children. They're children. They're it's, children. It oh, jeez. If Harry waits a year to join the Quidditch team. Yeah. <laughs> I think I actually like on along those lines, I my advice I think is for for Dumbledore. Who often my advice is for Dumbledore. <sighs> Hot as she is, I think Madame Hooch needs to be fired. (laughs) (laughs) She's not not... qualified. (laughs) Yeah, she's not. This this is really this is indicative of a regular class. She she's just really not. She's not cutting it as a as a teacher. No, a gym teacher. As in anything, she's (laughs) she's not. If you don't know a basic goddamn cushioning charm for the children that fall off their brooms <laughs> during flying lessons, you are not qualified to like uh, be responsible for children on brooms, full stop. 
Okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Gaily Prophet. We appreciate all of you very much. Don't forget that we're doing a sweet sticker giveaway. Please go rate and review us on iTunes. Once we have 50 reviews, we will choose 10 people. That's a one in five chance to receive a sweet sticker of our logo. They're beautiful. You definitely want one. Also, if you're one of the ones chosen, there's a one in 10 chance that you're going to get a free t-shirt out of the deal as well. So leave a review, take a screenshot, email it to us at thegailyprofit at gmail.com. If you would like to see photos of these awesome stickers and also whatever ridiculous weird meme we've created, check out our social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Gaily Prophet. If you want to just follow me in between episodes, I'm on Twitter at Jesse underscore Detroit and on Instagram at Live from Detroit. Yeah, and so you should definitely follow us on social media because second only to recording these episodes, the best part of my week is when I choose the poll quote that I then name the episodes and create really, really ridiculous Photoshop art to represent each episode. And it's great. It's one of the few things in my world that I'll just be like, it's great. I did a thing and it's great. <laughs> you can see Photoshop things like Voldemort as a mall goth standing in front of Hot Topic wearing a Nine Inch Nails shirt. You can see things like a bunch of fleeing first years leaping out of a boat with really, really angry looking cats clawing them and blood everywhere. You should follow us. You'll be really glad that you did. Uh, we are also on Patreon at patreon.com slash thegailyprofit, where you can find bonus content like when Jesse and I go completely off Harry Potter and talk about other fantasy book series that we have feelings about, and then I don't leave it in the episode because it literally takes us between three and a half and four hours to record about two chapters of Harry Potter, and I can't possibly leave in all of that content even though i make it into two episodes because that's a hell of a lot of us talking so we put some of it on patreon or we will when we actually start putting things on patreon which will be any day now uh you can follow me on instagram at lark malachi and at radical healer you can also find out about my work at larkmalachi.com it's l-a-r-k-m-a-l-a-k-a-i and that is where you can learn about my practice, where I do nutrition and life coaching and tarot readings. Our show art is by Theo Julian Forrester, who you can find on Instagram at Theo Julian Forrester. You can find out information about the music in our theme song and our spoiler warning in our show notes. They're both by Kevin McLeod. Our spoiler warning was recorded by Sarah Sarwar, and that is all. So, until next time... Guillotine, Birdhouse, <laughs> Map, and Jabroni. Oh, yay, it's the first time that we did it for real, and I'm so pleased. <laughs> um...
to know that, like, so the Oxford English Dictionary has a word of the day. And when I was looking up my words, jabroni was the actual word of the day. This is an actual I have no idea what that word means. Can you tell me? I think it just means like a chump, like a fool. It's from like late 90s wrestling. I think The Rock used to say that when he was a wrestler. How incredibly appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's what he's calling Voldemort while he's standing (laughs) on the semi-truck. Yes! Yes! He's totally calling Voldemort a jabroni. Too fast, too furious. Oh, no. Okay. Like sweet stuff that we do. I can't think of things right now. (laughs) Okay, wait. That was really bad. That's not true. Yeah, you should take that out. Arthur.